the rest of you can open up your Bible um, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 31 and following. As you do that, I got to be honest with you, I, I love Easter. Um, and I love Easter for all the good reasons, but I also love Easter for a very selfish reason, which is that I really, really enjoy Easter candy, like immensely. Um, I don't know why, but it just feels like candy tastes better in the shape of an egg. Um, I did read an article this week that said that the Reese's peanut butter egg is the perfect ratio of peanut butter to chocolate. Uh, Yeah, there we go. Wow. Man, I don't know what that is about Easter Sunday. They got the strongest natural applause so far. (laughs) But in truth, in my mind, the superior Easter candy, the top of the Easter candy tree is the Cadbury cream egg. Now, I feel like I lost some of you right there. But I really think the Cadbury cream egg is top shelf. But the whole concept of Easter eggs and Easter egg hunts, it's always kind of confused me a little bit here. And I've heard many stand-up comedians point to this same reality, but I've never really been able to find the connection between the Easter egg hunt and Easter, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And so this year, it had troubled me enough where I thought, you know what, I'm gonna do a deep dive on this. I gotta figure out what's the deal with Easter eggs and the Easter egg hunt. And as I was looking into it, I was surprised by something. One of the key players, one of the key founders of the Reformation back in the 16th century, a guy named Martin Luther, a pastor and a theologian, somebody who was seeking to reform the Catholic Church, he's actually one of the first leaders of the first recorded Easter egg hunt. And I thought, what's going on with this? So as I begin to dig a little bit further, it became clear that Luther, who always had an interest in finding creative ways to teach children the story of Scripture, that the Easter egg hunt was kind of instituted among his church as an attempt to teach about the resurrection of Jesus. Back then, they were hunting for real eggs or wooden eggs that were painted occasionally, but the event itself was an attempt to tell the story of Easter. The hard shell represented the tomb. The cracking of the egg representing Jesus' resurrection. The hunt was an opportunity to send kids off and say, do you know this thing that you found that looks like it's kind of fixed? Well, there's something beautiful inside of it. There's something good within it. And even though the shell seems to contain it, there's a crack in that shell. It was a way of depicting the story of the resurrection. But it seems odd to commemorate something as powerful as the resurrection with something so fragile as an egg. But it turns out that when we look at the resurrection story, that we see that Jesus' resurrection, it demonstrates that shame, death, even the power of Satan and sin is far more fragile than it often appears to be. And here's what I want you to hear right at the beginning. I'm gonna give the main point away and it's only thing I'm saying in the course of this sermon. Jesus broke the tomb so that we might receive an unbreakable love. Jesus broke the tomb so that we might receive an unbreakable love. I'm gonna read Luke 24 verses one through 12 to remind us of the resurrection story. And then we're gonna flip over to Romans eight and I wanna point to the reality of the supremacy 
of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's triumph and it's victory. So I'm going to read Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. And after I read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You're invited to respond, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The reason we do that is that God hasn't left his people in silence. He has spoken, and we want to give thanks for that. So let me read Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of Jesus and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would produce good fruit in our lives. God, I pray knowing that there are some today that are skeptical that this even happened at all that you are truly God, that you are truly the one who has conquered death. And I pray, God, even today, that you would bring the gospel to bear on all of our hearts and remind us of the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of the story of what God has done in Christ. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, when you get to the resurrection story, and this isn't even my notes, I just gotta tell you this because it's incredible. This is an unparalleled moment in the history of redemption. Now, let me tell you something. In the ancient world, there were a lot of views that when people died, that there was some life after death. Life after death was not a uniquely Christian concept in the ancient world, but resurrection, it absolutely was. Nobody was expecting an empty tomb. Nobody was expecting an empty grave. Nobody was expecting that the Son of God would rise again. That's why everybody is confused and confounded. The women go to the tomb not to make sure that he's not there. They go to the tomb because they want to treat the body they think is there. That's why they're going. That's why they're going to the tomb. They're not going to the tomb to validate. They're going to the tomb in order to just continue to worship, to continue to celebrate, and to continue to preserve the body of the risen Lord. They're going there totally expecting the body of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to be there. And he's not. He's not. And the angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. This is what's happened. Now, the thing about this that I just got to point out, because I know that there are some here who think there's no way this could have happened. Maybe this is a spiritual thing or a metaphor or an analogy or it helps people feel hope in the face of hopelessness or to grapple with the reality of death. Let me tell you something. The Bible is not treating the resurrection of Jesus as a metaphorical moral. It believes that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on a cross on Good Friday and rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. 
It's sparing no words about that. It is even demonstrating it in such a way as to confound the world. The first witnesses to the resurrection are women. Do you know whose testimony was not admissible in a court of law at this time? Women, what does that tell you? The gospel writers are not trying to bury the lead. If they wanted to tell an alternative story that could accrue power in the early church, if the resurrection was all myth and moral and metaphor, they told it in the wrongest way possible. They blundered this story. But what you find is they're not trying to mislead us. They weren't trying to mislead the early church. Nobody was expecting the resurrection. And I just want to implore you, if you're somebody who is skeptical to the Christian faith, first off, I'm delighted you're here. The Bible welcomes your doubts and your questions. The second thing is you should bring those doubts and questions to the real facts of the matter, and you should deal with the incontestable, insurmountable historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you really feel like, you know what, this Christian stuff, it's all myth, it's all story, it's all metaphor, it's all analogy. All these religions are really doing the same thing. There is no other religion that claims that God came in the flesh to die as a substitute for sinners and that he rose again conquering death and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. Not all the religions are the same. We don't all believe the same thing and not all of them have the weight of this kind of historical reality behind it. If you're a non-Christian, you should have really good reasons for continuing to withhold belief and if you're gonna do that, you gotta deal with the resurrection of Jesus. You've got to deal with the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's its truthfulness. Let me tell you about its beauty. Let me tell you about its beauty. Because Easter Sunday, I, we, there are some senses in which when we gather for Easter Sunday, we gather in a way that's a little bit distinct. Why? Because this is a part of the story that's uniquely beautiful. It's uniquely lovely. It's le- uniquely surprising and uniquely wonderful. In Romans 8, 31 through 34, Paul's talking about what God has done in Christ. And as Paul has already said throughout Romans, we are born, all of us, you, me, we, everyone who has ever lived is born physically alive but spiritually dead. We are separated from God. And subsequently, we need to be made alive. But there's a problem. There's a problem. The problem is that we're broken by sin. And the consequence of that sin is death. So we're born into this world by nature, spiritually dead and deserving death. And I know that's not good news, but that bad news is what we have to understand to really understand the value, the beauty, and the surprise of the glorious good news of the resurrection. Why does it matter that Jesus' resurrection is not only true, but it's beautiful? Because we want to be made alive. We want to have life forever with God. And in Romans 8, 31 through 34, Paul is appealing to us. This is what he says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now pause. This presumes something. It presumes something. That it's good to have God be with you and not against you. And just table for a moment, maybe some of your doubts or your skepticisms. Just maybe for a moment consider What if there really is a God and he is all that the Bible claims he is? Would it not be better for this God to be for you and not against you? But there's a problem. And it's not a problem with God, it's a problem with us. It's that we're born into this world not for God. 
We're born into this world opposed to God, rebelling against God, rejecting against God. That problem of sin is so thoroughly corrupted and broken our hearts that we're born into this world looking at God, not in affection, but in opposition. But Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, how does that change? How does that change happen? How are we transformed? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the story of Good Friday, that hundreds of us gathered together on Friday to remember the cross of Christ, to consider it, to meditate upon it, to retell the story that the cross is what we deserve. The cross is where we belong. And yet the Son of God has taken it upon himself. He has taken the wrath and judgment of God against sin. He's taken the debt of death in and upon himself. And why? So that God might graciously give us what Christ deserves, which is glory and life and living and fellowship with God. It goes on to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? You see, the story of salvation does not begin and end with the cross. The story of salvation doesn't end with a suffering Savior crucified on the cross of Christ at Golgotha. That's not where it ends. And Paul is saying, there is a more than that's at work in the resurrection. There is something that's greater that's coming on Easter Sunday. And when we gather together, we remember the cross of Christ and we remember that that is not where the story ends. That on the third day, Christ is raised from the dead, bringing with him not just forgiveness of sins, but fellowship with God and new life with God. You see, Christ conquered the grave. And in doing so, he broke the expectations of the ancient world. He surprises our expectations even now. Before the first Easter, death had a perfect record. It was the great equalizer, the one grand reality that stood undefeated. But when Christ conquered the grave in his resurrection, what appeared to be the inextinguishable reality of death, was now fractured. And death and sin and Satan were shown to be more fragile than we could ever believe. God defeats death in Jesus Christ. The Son of God is the substitute for sinners and he emerges from the tomb as the first fruits of the resurrection victory. See, Jesus Christ broke the power of the tomb, the power of death, and he did it not by avoiding death, not by minimizing death, not by rationalizing death. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, broke the power of death through experiencing death. By taking death upon himself, he broke the power of death itself. By entering into the depths of death, he triumphed over it in resurrection glory. In that Luke passage, I love what the angel asks the first visitors to the tomb. Why do you seek the living among the dead? I love what Paul says in Romans 8. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. The Son of God is no longer in the tomb. And just as the resurrection is more than the cross, it is the fulfillment of it, more than death, 
more than sin, more than shame, more than evil, more than wickedness, more than our rejection and rebellion, more than the cross itself, Christ Jesus rose from the dead and he brings something with him. Because when Christ broke the tomb, he did so so that we might receive an unbreakable love. And this is exactly what it says in the verses that follow it. Look at verse 35 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Look down at verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. You see, the resurrection victory of Jesus, it brings an unbreakable, unshakable, never-ending, relentlessly faithful love. And we cannot outrun it. Some of you, Continue to try to keep a safe distance between the love of God and yourself. And God is absolutely determined to secure the salvation of all of his people. He is absolutely determined that we would receive his love as a glorious prize and treasure. He has already secured our salvation in Jesus and he welcomes us freely to receive it in his grace in the work of Jesus. Name me another religion, another story that will tell you that God's love for his broken people is so great, is so deep, is so mighty that not only will he secure their salvation, he will keep them from beginning to end and forever. It's not out there. It's not out there. And we desperately need it. We are so convinced the world is broken. Are we not? Does anyone need reminding or remembering of the brokenness of your life or the brokenness of the world? Are things wrong with you? Yes, are things wrong with me? Yes. Are things wrong with the world? Yes. How will they be made right? In no other way, through no other person than what God has done in Jesus Christ. It is the hope of the world. It is the hope of salvation. And it is rooted in this unbreakable, unshakable love that God has for his people. The resurrection has secured it, and God will keep it forever. And this love is for those who don't deserve it. It's for those who think their sin is too great. It's for those who couldn't possibly believe that God would ever want them. It's for the arrogant. It's for the hurtful. It's for the lustful. It's for the angry. It's for the bitter. It's for the resentful. It's for the selfish. It's for you. It's for me. It's for all of us. It's for those who have been hurt by others, and it's for those who have hurt others. In no other place, in no other world, in no other story is there a love like this. And the good news is not only is it beautiful, it's true. It's not just beautiful. It would be a nice story if that's all it was, and that's not all that it is. It's also true. It's true. And it's grounded in reality. The biblical story isn't a convenient myth for well-behaved children. It's a necessary story for a wicked world. It is a desperate call for desperate people. 
it's not just a nice imaginative framework for us to not be afraid of death. It's far more than that. The Bible will not allow you to neuter it in that way. It will not allow you to soften it and make it safe. This is a radical love that God has, and it's demonstrated in a radical act that broke the imagination of the world by doing something that no one could ever have conceived of being done, which is that God in the flesh comes for the salvation of sinners. He takes the one thing that looks unbreakable, death, and he breaks it. He breaks it. He shatters a shell that seems like it could never be broken. And he does it to bring a love that we desperately need, a love that we desperately desire. I remember senior year, high school, we had a science project. The science project was our teacher asked us to take an egg and to build a little contraption around it and then drop it from the top of the, the stands in our football stadium. And the goal was to build something that could protect the egg, where the egg wouldn't crack. Did anybody else do this science project? Wow, I feel so seen here. I thought I was the only one. And I remember students showed up with all sorts of contraptions, right? Toothpicks and popsicle sticks and cotton balls. I mean, there were... There were students who showed up with nothing. There were students who showed up with everything. And it seemed like no matter how hard we tried, the egg still broke. I mean, I know mine did. It seemed like no matter how hard we tried to protect it, the egg still broke. From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned and death entered in as the curse of sin, it was on a crash course to a hero who would come to destroy its power, to crack its shell, and no matter how much the wickedness of the world sought to insulate it, death was going to break. Death was going to break. Its perfect record was going to be broken. It was going to be shattered. And it is a part of the joy and wonder of Easter that we remember that Christ has conquered the grave, that he paid the price for sin, that he's absorbed the judgment of God against our rebellion. And the triumph of all of that is that he has done so through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the world's perspective, it appeared that death was an unbroken reality, that it was certain, that it was inevitable. Maybe you walk in today thinking all of this is imaginative to grapple with the unbreakable reality of death, but that is an illusion. Death's power has been broken and a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that not only has Christ broken the power of death, but that in his coming kingdom, the very presence of death will be gone forever. That day is coming. Whether you acknowledge it or not, there is a day coming when not just the power of death will be removed, but the presence of death will be gone forever. And the question is, will we be a member of a kingdom of life at that moment or a kingdom of death? When Jesus broke the tomb, he shattered the power of death and his resurrection. And it became clear that the truly, the only unbreakable reality was not the tomb, it was the love of God. Christ has brought freedom from sin and its curse. And in that freedom, a love that can never be torn away from us, a love that cannot be broken. The angels in the tomb ask, do you still look for the living among the dead? And the son of God today, risen, ascended at the right hand of the father by the power of the Holy Spirit, asks you today, do you still look for life among the dead places? 
Do you still look for the living among the dead? Are you still showing up to the tomb expecting the stone to be there? Christ has been raised from the dead, bringing salvation victory in his rising. Look upon the empty tomb. Look upon the stone rolled back from the grave. Inside of it, you will not find Jesus. But you will find a broken curse and an unbreakable love. Inside of the empty tomb, you will not find the body of the Son of God, but you will find the chains of death broken. Inside the empty tomb, you will not find Jesus Christ, Son of David, Son of Abraham, Son of man, Son of God, but you will find the death, the judgment paid for your sin and your shame. In the empty tomb, you will not find the Son of God slain, but you will find the power of Satan done forever. In the empty tomb, we do not find the Son of God. We find a broken curse and an unbreakable love. An unbreakable love for you, an unbreakable love for me, an unbreakable love for the world. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. Come to Jesus and live. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for what you have done in Jesus. That you have given us your son who died on the cross. More than that, who was raised, bringing victory in his rising. We thank you, God, for the triumph of the cross and the triumph of the resurrection. God, I pray for those among us who continue to try to stiff arm the love of God. I pray that you would ask them right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, why do you look for love among all the wrong places? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for hope in hopeless arenas? I pray, God, that you would invite them to come to Jesus and live and that they would. And for those, God, who have placed their trust in Christ, I pray that today would be a reminder that our great hope is not in the next promotion. It isn't in the next paycheck. It isn't in the next life stage. It's not in the next milestone that we mark. It's not in the next pound lost. It's not in the next goal achieved. The life that we are looking for is the resurrection life of Jesus. And there is nowhere for us to find it every day but Jesus and Jesus alone. Spirit of God, help remind us of this, that you would break forth in our hearts like rivers of living water and that you would draw our attention over and over again to the risen Lord Christ and the love that he has bought for us in his death and resurrection. We pray these things in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.